Welcome back, everyone. Episode 11 of the Critical Strike Podcast, into and through double digits and hopefully very well on into the future. I'm Henry Gatemore with the usual suspects, Tyler Esguera and Meg Kay, joined by a very special guest. Uh, as, as usual, we try to get our guests of the very special variety, and this one for a discussion that is a little more maybe serious or uh, nuanced. We wanted to get someone here uh, who, who really knew how to talk about these things in a, well, nuanced and uh, exceptional way. Uh, and so for that discussion, we've got Emily Rand, formerly of ESPN, now on the analyst desk of the LCS. You've seen her, you know her, you love her. She's here with us. Emily, how are you? Uh, I'm well. I feel like you're overestimating my brand power, but... Uh, Nonsense. Yeah. So we're here, uh, as you can see by the episode title, we need to talk. Um, and there, this has been a conversation that, again, has been mostly had over Twitter, over Discord, Reddit, etc., uh, and not that our podcast is the place for exclusively highbrow discussions, but hopefully we want to get a little more structure into this discussion uh, instead of just one-sided blather. Um, and so hopefully we can achieve that. Let's get right into it, though. The import rule. That is, has been all the all the kerfuffle, all the hubbub, etc. on Twitter. Uh, the, the main consensus is, all right, there have been rumblings that all 10 of the North American owners have expressed interest, if nothing else, in removing import restrictions uh, from what it is right now to allow a lot more imports in. And by extension, what people are worried about is that it would dilute the North American player base. And especially in a year where we have seen unprecedented amounts of investment and success, it seems like, uh, by exclusively North American talent, North American young talent, this feels like a, a big uh, question mark ping, to use a technical term. So before we get into what the changes are looking like or what the proposed changes are looking like, the import rule as it stands uh, right now a you know when, when a player comes in and wants to get residency in North America this is kind of what it looks like and we'll, we'll see why we want to kind of define these terms beforehand a player that comes to North America is considered a resident if a player is either a lawful permanent resident I'm reading this right out of the LCS rulebook uh, a lawful permanent resident in the United States of America or Canada or part of a limited group of grandfathered non-resident players who were granted status as a resident in 2014 uh, and now this is important because uh, there are just a couple of these left, and we can't really have this discussion in a full way without mentioning these kinds of players, like your Santorins, Bjergsen, if he were still a player. Uh, Tal, why don't you start us off here? Why is this grandfathering discussion important to color the broader context here? Well, no, I mean, um, the rule changed, right? From 2014, first off, you had to spend two years in the region before you can con be considered grandfather, but they changed the rule in, I believe, 2016, so that not only would you have to spend four years in the region, but you'd also have to, um, you'd also have to get permanent residency status in the country. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that's, 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 that's the, the actual rule. Uh, Emily? Uh, I was going to say a lot of people, so like to stress, I guess my presence here is A, to as the resident like LPL enthusiast, you bring the LPL into every context. But um, this is actually really important because I feel like a lot of people, when they look at the changes in 2016 to the global interregional movement policy, and again, to reiterate, this is global. The only thing that's exclusive to NA are the current rules around Oceanic players. Um, everything else, like this is a global rule and changing it is going to require input from all regions, uh, all, all major regions. Um, but to reiterate, the changes in 2016 were actually not because of North America. Uh, a lot of people at that time were looking at the C9 roster and being like, oh, it's so C9 can't have impact and Jensen and whoever else they wanted to bring in. Um, I think it was Svensk Aaron at the time. Uh, and have like an entire roster of uh, players that are not all domestic players. However, the real reason that they changed it was because there would have been so many rosters following the 2014-15 offseason exodus of South Korean players to China and other regions, but the vast majority of them went to China. Um, there would have been full LPL rosters with all South Korean players. And so that is one of the major regions why that rule changed in 2016, why it became a lot more difficult for players to achieve residency by uh the standard uh that they set so then when that rule was changed you mentioned it, it at least a rule in the future a rule change in the future would take a lot more than just oh the 10 lcs orders and 
wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Everyone's got to abide by our rules. What was that process like in 2016? Like, was there just a high council of like, oh, you know, NA, EU, et cetera? Like, what, what's the actual process for getting something like this, like, codified and through? Oh, I have no idea. Um, okay. I mean, like, I'm not going to speak on something that I don't know. I just know that one of the major re- uh, reasons was because they didn't want full LPL rosters of all South Korean players. Um, and that this is a global rule. So you would, uh, at this point, have, since all four leagues are franchised uh, separately, you, I would assume, have to have input. They would take input from all owners. Yeah. So it wouldn't just be uh, North America. Yeah, um, that's a kind of weird thing. It's like people think that this is an, a, like this is a change that would affect just our region. And it's like, no, because if that would be completely unfair to literally every other region, because North, why would North America get that kind of like tr- like preferential treatment towards uh, the acquisitions of players? So there's so much more that needs to go on for that rule to come into place, for sure. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the, the conversation that has gone on around this has, in the kind of classic tradition of things being discussed on social media, has been heavily simplified. And it is, I think it's very, very important for fans to understand that this would be a global change. This would affect Europe, this would affect China, this would affect Korea. We could even see this trickling down to affect some of the minor regions. And I think talking about it as just an NA problem and just something that is going to affect NA is quite short-sighted. I just want to like make that clear for listeners that this is a problem that is the, this is a whole world issue. This is not just North America. So then, I mean, as a kind of North American fan, as you know, we're coming in here from a, if nothing else, maybe not North American perspective, but a North American kind of talking point, does that maybe offer more hope that like, oh, you know, maybe this isn't as like widespread of something as, as you know, as we might think. And like, just because North America wants it doesn't mean that everybody else would kind of agree to it. Or do you think we're making too much out of this? And like the, the looming possibility of this, this boogeyman? Well, no, I mean, like the fact that all, well, we, we don't know exactly, but the, the, the kind of whispers are that a majority of the teams in NA are trying to push for that. That's still big. That is still a huge talking point. Like, um, the fact that... Travis Gafford, who was the person who, like, he was kind of one of the people that brought this whole thing up, and he brought it up during the um, the LCS Media Day press conference that happened. Um, His exact wording, um, I've now asked for all 10 teams for their stance on the import rule. None have voiced support for keeping it. Responses thrown into three camps generally. Vague non-answer with implied support for removing it. Arguments for changing it rather than fully removing it or a desire to fully remove. So it is all 10, but the nuances of each of the responses is very, very different. I was, I sat in, I was actually a part of some of those mini media days and it's completely true. Like it's very, it was either, I can't speak to that or um, they kind of, uh, Push the subject to it like they push to a different subject almost they kind of redirected the conversation a little bit or it's like they did kind of say yeah there are discussions about it but they never openly none of them really openly said like oh no um uh we like because he asked like what's what's your stance on it so there was no no team said uh we don't want it instead it's either yeah uh, uh like an, a revised version or they just give it an answer so that's a uh, that's what happened during the media day, what and you can watch you that. Think? You can watch that in on on, on on his YouTube, I think. Yeah, he has the um, in the responses to the tweet that I just read out. There is a um, a thread of all of the individual recorded responses of representatives of each team. I think uh, one thing that interests me: what do you guys think the responses of the community would have been if one team had straight up said, "No, we don't want anything changed." Because I am not entirely sure how the community would have reacted to that, especially if all of the other teams had said that they wanted it changed. I mean, I feel like the broader community probably would have responded positively, if nothing else, just gauging by the reactions to this having been pretty generally negative. Um, I guess it depends who you define in the community. Yeah, I was going to say, I think generally uh, the community, from what I've seen on Twitter and Reddit, 
they would have been probably behind that team <laughs> uh, pretty pretty strongly considering how uh everyone has come out against the idea of removing it for for various reasons so speaking of which i think like what like what are you, like i'm actually curious now to see what their actual stance is on the decision is from everybody like for example emily like what what are you what are your what's your stance uh, I mean, I don't really have one. Like, I don't, I don't feel, like, I don't feel super strongly either way. I think there's so many problems that are inherent to NA infrastructure that, like, I think, um, I mean, I'm, I, I would say I'm, like, very, very softly negative against it. And the reason for that is because I feel like, removing the import rule for North America is kind of a weird uh, resolution to the fact that uh, North America has native infrastructure problems, aka there's just a smaller pool of players to pull from because we don't have a huge PC culture. There's not a lot of ways that anyone from like a you know, middle to lower income bracket can practice League of Legends in the same way that you can if you are South Korean or if you are Chinese, you can just go to a PC bong or an internet cafe and it's like super, super cheap. Um, so like there's like not to mention the server issues and the fact that, you know, teams don't scout very well. Um, and the fact that the NA ladder isn't uh, as useful of a scouting tool. So first of all, I don't think you should automatically scout anyone off the ladder and then plop them onto a team, but that rarely happens, even in regions where people say it happens. Like, guess what, guys? It doesn't happen in China all that often, and it doesn't happen in Korea all that often. Most of those players are on trainee teams. Um, so, like, that's another misconception I think people have. Uh, but it is a slightly more useful scouting tool than the NA ladder, just because they are more competitive. So, um, you know, there's just a lot of things that you can't apply to North America that people, when they look at what is done in China, what is done in South Korea, what is done in Europe, um, they, they just don't apply to NA for, for one reason or the other. So it seems like a, a kind of a band-aid solution for North America's lack of infrastructure, North America's lack of investment in scouting. Uh, in having trainee programs and like obviously all of that stuff is expensive which like I don't know if we want to dove into why owners want to change this rule but like the reason is money like that is yeah. like legit the reason like it's very very simple it's not difficult to understand yeah I, I like before I used to compare kind of the situation with the LCS and like uh, building its own player base from within it's like kind of almost it's going to take such a long time and it's going to take a lot of effort. It can be done, though. Because, um, like you said, we don't have the same kind of uh, things that other regions have that help them grow. Like, for example, Europe has all the... Like, ERL, they they have so many players to choose from. Um, better servers. Uh, accessibility in, like, in, in Korea and China. Like, we have so much lacking. It feels like we're just starting to give support to the development of players here. It, 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 like, for example, TSM and EG and C9 um, and 100 Thieves, they've all started to show inklings of support for the growth and development of the players, like our, our possible players uh, with like amateur uh, programs, for example. And for them to go backwards in a, fit, in a way, it just feels, I don't know, it feels almost like like a slap to the face to some people where you, like, I don't know how you can say we're dedicated to developing North American talent and then remove the import rule. It just doesn't feel, it just feels like a... I think that was one of the opposite. strangest things about the timing of all this was that, like, we've seen such an influx in rookies into the LCS this year. We're seeing, like the streamlining of the amateur league all underneath the riot banner and i think it was very confusing to a lot of people that this was conversation was coming out now just because it felt like 
steps were being taken in the direction of fostering homegrown talent. Like, obviously, yeah. it's not perfect. You're never going to get that right first try, especially when you have these systemic issues that Emily's just talked about. But I think it feels disingenuous for this conversation to be coming up now. And I'm very curious to see how the performance of some of the more rookie heavy rosters in the LCS currently will affect the outcomes of this conversation as it is developed more over time. Because I think if we have, like, if the Golden Guardians suddenly manage to pull out, like, an insane victory run and, like, make it to playoffs and do... I don't think there's a world in which they do particularly well in playoffs, but I think making it there and doing okay might just be enough to maybe sway the conversation just a little bit. And, and, and to that point, it's like, Dignitas. We don't need Golden Guardians to do that. Dignitas, right? It's not all rookies, right? But it's guys that are, you know, like, guys who, in Dardock and Aphromoo, people were kind of calling for their heads. People were saying, oh, these guys are washed. These guys, you know, they can't do anything. Aphromoo's just a, you know, a, a, a rookie whisperer and all that. <clears throat> like, it, but you have, you know, guys like Saligo and Neo and Fake God who have kind of bounced around a little bit. They've taken their lumps in North America. And I think even with Golden Guardians, it, to me, it feels like the perception is a lot more supportive. It's like, look, they're rookies. Like, that's fine. Look, Niles is going to go 0-6 on pants top or whatever, but, like, that's okay. Like, or it's more okay than, like, why is the last place team all, fill, uh, all filled with, like, recycled and, you know, maybe a little more washed NA talent. Uh but let, well, let's. I mean, I'm going to jump in here because I think there's a definite correlation between community narrative of players and how people scout. And again, like when I say lack of infrastructure in NA, a lot of it is just like how much people, how much effort people put into scouting, which cynical aside, do I trust people who have struggled to scout talent off the North American ladder and kind of try to foster them? Uh, to then be suddenly be able to miraculously scout, you know, players off of the South Korean solo queue ladder and be able to foster that talent. No, I mean, mm. I saw people do similar things on Chinese teams where they would just pick up players from from South Korea without having scouted them, uh, you know, correctly or well. I think the most like well documented example was when a team. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll remove the names for you know, to protect <laughs> yeah. the innocent. But, like, a team scouted a mid laner be uh, as a jungler because he played Lisa in mid. Um, he was not oh. a jungler. He was a mid laner. Uh, this happened. Oh, um, so, like, and and that's obviously an outlier. But I'm saying, uh, you know, like, there is a, a large amount of effort that you need to put in to actually scout players well. And it includes often trying to bring them in for some sort of tryout, figuring out how they accept information, figuring out retention rate, pattern recognition, how do they talk to other people, how do they get along in a team environment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then on top of that, you have this community narrative that like I'm trying to be really um, cognizant about how my role on the analyst desk, for example, right? Like I obviously don't speak for the analyst desk or anything, but for me specifically as a person, uh, as a journalist, and also as someone who is now on the analyst desk, your your opinion unfortunately matters. And it matters like more than it should because people take community perception. So to circle all of this back to Saligo and Fake God, um, they, people made up their minds about them really quickly off of performances that they had in single games um, where they may or may not have been ready for that LCS debut stage because of reasons why they were immediately shuttled to, uh, you know, start an LCS because the LCS team wasn't doing well. So it's like, okay, why don't we give these players a chance? But then when you're in that position, I know Alarim has talked about this on the analyst desk, like you have so much more pressure. You don't necessarily feel like your team is behind you. Like there's a massive difference between a team at the beginning of the season to saying to Saligo and Fake God, we believe in you. You are our solo leaners for this season. Um, uh, other than like just subbing them in because, oh, the main team isn't doing well. So we need to put you in here and see how Make well you do. Yeah. Um, and that makes a huge difference. And I think people are like really shocked at how well, quote unquote, these players are doing and they shouldn't be, you know, like similarly to Deathly, I feel like a lot of people made up his their minds about 
his performance and how well he could do. And they were like, I don't know why EG got Jeff Lee when they could have got someone better, et cetera, et cetera. And like, I think he's been performing really, really well for EG. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's like actively defying that narrative as well. So I think when, when people really make up their mind about North American players, like it's unfortunate that teams look also. at community narrative mm-hmm. as well, because that yeah. is, you know, sometimes not the, the whole truth of what is going on with a player or how well um, or how poorly they'll do in an LCS environment or on a team. It feels kind of circular. Yeah, uh, it, it definitely is. But I mean, I, I I think like community perception should never be a uh, a thing that is considered in scouting, and it and it definitely is. It pressures them a lot. Yeah, yeah. a lot more than it should for sure. Yeah. It's like that's your job as like a scout and an org owner and whatnot is to rise above that and to see the big right. picture for what it is, at least in theory. Um, and so, but before we get into kind of. Looking forward, I do want to touch on something that uh, Emily you had mentioned as we were talking beforehand, which I think is really important. Uh, the the idea of residency and how, because I, and again, p- please you know correct me if I'm wrong, if this is just a, a community kind of perception, but I think that a lot of the perception is that North America and China specifically, what they have that a lot of regions don't, or at least are willing to do is splash cash. And so that's why the import discussion comes up a lot around these two regions. You mentioned the uh, Exodus in 2015, um, and but but it's not just as I mean let, let, let's let's talk about both residency in both regions because in North America it is a lot tougher than maybe people think. But why don't you give us the the perspective from China as well because I think so often something that people want to do is compare oh well you know is, is compare apples and oranges when really you can't. Yeah, so like I think the thing with China that people have to understand first of all when saying like owners are flush with cash, etc., that is somewhat true. But the initial um, exodus uh, prices, which have gone down f- since then, were actually funded by Chinese streaming companies who were trying to get you know South Korean players uh, and market them on their streams. Right, so a lot of the salaries that were driven up at that time was because you had these investment from streaming companies. And once Chinese streaming companies realized that they could do a lot better with, you know, retired players like Messiah or PDD or Wei Xiao, like you then have them going back to, you know, uh, retired Chinese players uh, and not kind of funding or bankrolling these, uh, you know, streaming incentives in LPL contracts. And like a lot of stuff uh, changed in LPL to try to make sure that teams are working on, you know, uh, going through their own homegrown talent, especially in LDL. But I think the the big thing that I want to stress about China is that it's really difficult to become a resident um, because it includes the amount of time you are in China. And that doesn't mean figuratively in China. It means literally in China. So um, I talked to Doinby about this at 2019 Worlds, uh, right, I believe, before he became the first, you know, LPL re- permanent resident. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't go home to, to South Korea to see his family. Uh, he just stayed in China. Right. I think the first time he, I believe the first time he saw them in South Korea was when he went to the midseason Invitational uh, in 2019. So, um, you know, that's a huge sacrifice, right? Because you're not, you know, you're not going home to see your family. You're not like he, they came to see him. Um, he did not leave China. And that was really because, uh, he wanted to be an LPL resident. Like his wife is Chinese. Um, he's always been an LPL player. And I think when we talk about, like the idea of import in general uh, gives this weird like us versus them connotation that I really hate mm-hmm. over the mm-hmm. discussion. Um, however, I think like when you think about a player like Doinby in LPL, for example, he's always been an LPL player to me. Um, the Shy has always been an LPL player to me. Um, Rookie is an LPL player to me. Uh, in the same way that in North America, you know, I consider Santorin an LPL player. I can or a NA player. I consider uh, Jensen an NA player. Um, yeah. it, and it's like, 
I, I I don't like how the discussion automatically creates this weird like us versus them thing, uh, especially when you have so many players who very obviously like have made North America their their home, right? Um, yeah. And that requires you know it's not as strict as the LPL rules where you you know cannot step outside of Chinese soil, <laughs> otherwise it counts against the amount of days you've been in China towards your residency. But, um, you know, it, it requires a lot of sacrifice. And I think people underestimate that. Yeah, it's crazy to, like, when people kind of just kind of gloss over the fact that choosing to be a, a, an NA resident is, like, life-changing, where you are choosing to be, you're moving your whole life over to NA to play for this region. And, um, you know, to me, right, NA to me screams kind of diversity. And so I'm not mad at imports, and especially if they've proved, like, they, they are showing that they want to represent this region. And and that's one of the biggest important, like, that's the most important thing, right? Um, is that you are dedicated to playing for this region. You, you not only are you wanting to stay here for four years, you're you're gonna change, you're gonna gain residency. Um, so it's not just a willy nilly thing that is just handed out. Like 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 I think that the fan connection too with these types of players is super important because if a player like Santorin shows like I want to be here, I want to represent North America, I'm willing to stay for how how long? Or well, not him because he was grandfathered, but like other players that are showing that I want to, I'm going to get residency here. I'm going to stay here for four years. Like, that's I mean, huge. I, I also think Santorin has shown, like, unequivocally oh, no, yeah, that yeah. he wants to play here. Like, he's really yes, talked yes, yes, about yes. his his struggles with, like, uh, COVID and, and getting back here and stuff. Like, he he definitely wants to be here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Santorin, he's great. Uh, but, yeah, he's even said, like, if it, he said this in the TL AMA the other day, um, that if he, if it meant, like, even removing the grandfathering like qualification, like he would still argue in favor of keeping the the import rule in place. I so, think. Oh, go ahead, Meg. Sorry, um, I was just gonna say I think it's interesting coming at this from a European perspective because I think a lot of the perception around European players going to North America is it's a cash grab. It's your career in Europe is done, and now you have decided that you want to play for a higher salary, so you're going to North America. And I think that's actually a really, really unfair statement to make. And I think, although he's not a European player, I think a really, really good example of how importing players can just have such an incredibly positive effect on your region is someone like Core JJ, who is somebody who has 100% decided that he is here to try and create a better environment in North America. He's setting up all these initiatives, the Mm -hmm. in-houses, the streaming of the in-houses, the having the in-houses cast. Like, he's creating an environment in which native players are also hugely benefiting. And I think that's something that's really important because there can sometimes be kind of a xenophobic edge to the conversation of imports where it's like, oh, we only want native... I'm going to use the American example, but this is not a problem that is exclusive to America, where it's, oh, we only want... American players we don't want these foreigners coming in and taking the spots of our North American players and that's just mm-hmm. not the case mm-hmm. it some, is... some of these guys have put twice as much effort into the region and, and to show like the dedication right like yeah. I'm not like it's crazy and I think that's a really it's a very important thing to understand that imports can still be incredibly beneficial to a region but that does not mean that every single player on your roster needs to be an import right there is nothing inherently wrong with being a player who moves to another country and decides to play for a team in another country or region, but the problem comes when that is all that your region is constructed of, and you have what is currently looking like the issue in North America, where you have a very shaky underlayer of competition, of Tier 2 and Tier 3 competition, that is not allowing North American talent to come through the pipeline. So then, do we think that with you know, maybe more stringent residency requirements or, okay, if we were to lift the import restrictions and say, okay, no, like that's fine. You can have, you know, five imports or whatever, but we require certain things of you. Certain things are maybe baked into a contract. Is that enough to safeguard? Mm. 
against that? Will that be enough of like, a, okay, look, you can come here and we can populate five imports, but like we need X, Y, and Z commitment from you, or is that unrealistic? I don't think I so. Mean, I think that oh, safeguarding from what? Like, it's yeah. so hard to become a resident. Yeah. Like, this right. is this no, is like not, what the rules right now are already. Yeah, taught, like, like the rules. Yeah. The rules right now are like completely fine from that regard. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't even need extra stuff in a contract. You know, like especially with how difficult it is to travel from country to country and how how poorly the U.S. has handled COVID just generally. Like, mm. like you have to sacrifice a lot to be yes. here. Yes. Like, I think that, like, imagine telling somebody, uh, I want you to, if you want to uh, come and work for us, you have to stay here for four years and you have to get resident. Like, you have to be a, become an actual resident of this country. Like, a lot of people will be like, eh, that's a lot of commitment. But if they do commit, then you know that they're like 100% down. Like, that's a lot of just sacrifice that you have to make. And so I don't even think that the rule needs to be changed at all. I don't think that there needs to be any change, to be honest. Like, there's already, the rule is already good because four years and gaining permanent resident status is a lot for whoever wants to come here. Um, and the fact that we're also taking steps to help create this path to pro for other aspiring North American players. I think that we're fine for now. I don't know what, I don't know why this kind of, like, it's, ha like, like Meg said, like, I don't know why it's happening now. Like, because I feel like we're getting to a better spot than we were before. Well, then, so, so let, let, let's kind of talk about that. And again, we can only speak to so much, but understanding the other side's perspective, while we may not disagree with it, I think it's just a generally good rule of thumb in life. But why, you know, again, we can only speak to so much, so let's not talk out of our behinds here, but. <laughs> it, you know, is it, I mean, yes, it's about money at the end of the day, but let's really like, you know, break that down. What, you know, how much do we know about, you know, salaries, you know, and maybe a salary cap or something like that. That's something that's been bandied about uh, in these discussions. You would need a salary cap. Right. percent. So then, okay. So then let, let's kind of talk about that, right? It's like, okay, is there some sort of compromise maybe of like, oh, maybe it's just not import rules completely gone. Maybe it's just one more slot or, you know, oh, imports plus a salary cap. What do we, as we kind of formulate you know, mm -hmm. like project these scenarios out, you know, why, yeah, I guess what, what sort of maybe compromise could be reached and why, let's putting ourselves in the owner's shoes, why now? Why do we want to do this? Let's ignore, you know, what should be done, but it's like, let's ask selfishly in the owner's perspective. Selfishly maybe is a bad word, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, like from, I think it's really easy to understand from the owner's perspective. They, I mean, uh, it's, it's a money thing, right? Like I would assume that a lot of the, um, again, I I don't know. So like this is a lot it's of- very speculative. Yeah, it is very speculative. But I mean, I would assume that, you know, like they have probably over the past year, um, like I, I think people, as a general rule, when we're looking at the economy in a broad perspective, uh, we obviously talk about how much people, how much money people are losing uh, from from the ongoing pandemic, right? Among other things, and I think people underestimate how much that has affected esports because esports kind of went down briefly and then came back up online. Um, but I'm going to compare it to something that I have seen some economic reports on, and uh, I think has a pretty good, like not one to one comparison with. Uh, esports, but it, an interesting and relatable one, and that's the music industry. And the reason is because no one buys music, <laughs> and it's really hard to make money off of selling music. Um, and it's really hard to get, you know, people. And I include myself in this. It's really hard to get gamers to pay for anything, you know. Um, and, and again, like I am so cheap. Like I pay for OGN, and that's about it. Uh, so, like I'm including myself in here, right? Like I am part of the problem. Um, but I, I think that, um, a lot of people are looking at the music industry and they're like, wow, this sucks because we can't have concerts. We can't make money off of having events. And while it was not expensive to go to LCS week after week and not every single game was well attended, I think people do underestimate the amount of money that you can make off of having finals, having people attend events. Um, because it's a lot easier to market everything 
uh, in person because say you're going to the LCS and sure it might not be full or sold out or whatever, but you show up and the Riot store is there and there's like a bunch of team jerseys and like you just happen to be there and it's something that you're attending and so you want a a memoir of going to that so you buy like a core jj jersey or whatever like that that is something that i think people weirdly underestimate because we talk about income in covid times from like a really broad perspective of like oh the economy sucks but then when looking at esports it's like why do the owners like this uh want this uh well they probably lost money like and and they they probably lost you know, marketing opportunities. And so um, when we're not talking about getting revenue from uh, broadcast rights or or something that we're looking at from like a traditional sports, like revenue franchise scale, you're looking at where can you make money? Well, most of the money is going to come from sponsorships. So what can we do to get those sponsorships, you know, get marketable players? So I, I think the idea is that, you know, if you bring um, if you bring in players that have a really strong brand that people like, they're going to get behind, um, you know, like then it's a lot easier to market them. It's a lot easier to sell that to sponsors, right? Now, the flip side is how much do you trust North American orgs to market their teams, especially if they're bringing over players from Europe, from South Korea, and how well have they done at marketing those players generally? That's a whole other story in terms of how much he trusts owners, but like I'm not like siding against the owners here. Like I know why they, they why they want this, and and it makes sense because they likely have revenue goals that they need to hit that they have not hit. If I had to make an assumption based on other industries, one thing regarding the the money side of things that again purely speculation, I have absolutely no qualifications in finance whatsoever this is just this is just got to give you a little disclaimer this is purely speculation but one thing um one thing that i personally have been looking to in this discussion has been the overwatch league because the overwatch league has no restrictions on free movement of players you can have any nationality of players on any team regardless of region and one thing that having spoken to friends of mine and colleagues of mine who are staunch fans of the overwatch league is that people who are fans of the overwatch league are fans of players not of teams it's much more common for people to choose to support a team because a player that they like happens to be playing on that team and then when that player leaves that team to go somewhere else they will also generally leave that team and follow their player to a new team and i think if that is something that we start seeing in the lcs sure you will have the short-term marketability and brand opportunities of getting these big name players but it also creates a lot of long-term instability because if there is this freedom of players are able to go anywhere how do you build a brand with a player who you may only have for a year and how do you after a while convince sponsors that yeah we can we can continue to market your product in this like light when you're not 100 percent sure which players are going to be on your team next year I think one thing that would need to be discussed where the import rule to be changed is the length of time for which players need to be on a team. Because I think that's something that could create a massive amount of both financial and gameplay, for want of a better word, instability for the LCS and the wider world. Well, there's there's so there's a lot of facets in that alone. Um, in terms of the uh, in terms of people being player driven as opposed to team driven that's already happened in na for years like esports is pretty much always going to be like that i think um and, and like with some notice notable exceptions but uh i think that uh you know for the for the most part it's always going to be player driven and i think in overwatch league you actually have really good marketing examples and really bad marketing examples of teams too right like uh i don't think anyone expected a team like the New York Excelsior, especially after their logo was released, which everyone was making fun of as like a graphic <laughs> design is my passion. And like they turned that into like 
this amazing team, these really awesome, funny players, like that team was so fun to interview. They had translators right after the bat, off of the bat. They were talking to all of these players about how to market them. They put out introductory videos. They did a ton of like amazing shoulder content and like, Hey, guess what? That team was insanely popular. And part of it is because they were winning, but part of it is also because the New York Excelsior branded them so well and their merchandising was so good and their like mm-hmm. garment making is so good like everything about what they've done was just insanely good right off the bat um and you have other examples that i'm not going to bring up because i don't want to like mm. you know poop on anyone's team but like yeah, yeah, yeah. you have a lot of like bad examples of that bad as example. well right mm-hmm. um but then additionally it's it's always going to be player driven and if you're talking about like length of contract terms that is always going to be a sticky situation because then it gets down to which you know players don't have a union they should but they don't and and i don't think they'll ever be able to unionize to be honest but someone should be pushing for it more than they are agreed um but then you get into player rights issues right because Mm -hmm. no one wants to be like stuck on a team for x amount of years yeah yeah, because of a really long contract. And there are contract restrictions right now um, mm-hmm. where you can't have a contract longer than three years, I think. I think don't three. I should have looked this up, damn it. Um, I think it's three years. <laughs> but yeah, like there is a there is a restriction in terms of how long you can sign a player, and that is because of player rate stuff, not because of like uh you know, um uh, any any sort of so like like trapping someone on a yeah. team for that long would also be uh, you know uh, a an issue. <laughs> yeah, maybe a, a bit. little bit of a problem. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. No, and I think yeah. that's again, and I'm glad we talked about this that this conversation kind of organically went into things like branding and individual players and whatnot because it, it, I think it does show. Correct me if I'm if you disagree with me. Uh, like that, this is a lot more involved a discussion than uh then it might make it maybe it's made out to be on the surface um uh do we want to kind of discuss it as far as i don't know moving forward and ending on a maybe more a more positive note i mean i think we maybe can all agree that like look we're kind of fine as is um but again it's like with owners they've got certain things that they need to hit because of sponsors and money and xyz and it's you know money it doesn't make it, it's not the maker it's not the make or break, but at the same time, it kind of is. Like, you need money to do things. Um, money isn't everything, but money is power and influence and ability to make a proper ecosystem. You need money to say, you know, do things like invest in uh, North American amateur and, and scouting and whatnot. Um, so mm-hmm. you, you can you can understand, like Emily said, it's like you get why, they're, why they might see this as the right approach. Um, but I don't know. Do we, if, do we want to offer kind of, I don't know, compromises or, you know, maybe a better alternative? We, we talked about a salary cap. Uh, stuff like that what is one way that maybe you can talk out both sides of your mouth to use it for lack of a better term about like oh yeah imports but then it's like okay we're gonna actually invest in you know north american academy and again those things feel almost oxymoronic to talk about it is but it is kind of yeah. or, and, and if it just is then i guess it is and no no use having that discussion but i don't know because if you if you open up if you open up the import rule so that nobody like and you can get any imports i feel like it's just going to like first off we have like our player base which is lacking already but the players that are aspiring pros they're gonna look up at the lcs and see like unless you're incredibly driven i feel like it would be so discouraging for any aspiring pro to look up at the lcs and be like do i really want to try to go pro you know it, it, it's it's it to me it just feels like you as much as you can say we're going to be developing these players will there be really a strong player base to develop in the first place because they're going to look up at the lcs and be like well do i want to try to go pro or do i want to just stream hmm. like there's 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 a very clear it's kind of like the pros and cons kind of weigh each other out when it comes to that if the import rule is lifted um but for an alternative, I, I don't know. I don't know what kind of alternative there could be right now because I just think that we're fine. I think that there, there doesn't, it doesn't need to be changed as much. I think that what we have is, 
I guess it's it's biased, but uh, I don't I don't know if the, there needs to be a change. I don't even think the change is going to go through because, like we said before, this needs to be something that's discussed with every single league, and I doubt I I don't know if every single league is going to want to have the import rule restricted. And if you don't have the approval of all the leagues, then you can't go through with the decision in the first place. So, I I personally agree with you on this. I think the North America is finally starting to take steps in a direction that a lot of fans have wanted for a very long time. We're seeing the streamlining of the amateur scene. We're seeing more teams starting to invest, with more organizations rather starting to invest in amateur teams. I think it is going to take time. And I think, unfortunately, all that is needed in this case is patience. I don't think making this snap change I don't think can be beneficial in the long term, especially because it would take so long to implement in a way that would satisfy every single major region involved. I think the infrastructure that we have started to see come into place this year with collegiate players entering the LCS and obviously the increased investment in amateur, the streamlining of the amateur system, I think we need to give that time to really work in a way that we can see clear and tangible results but i also do think that we will get clear and tangible results from those changes emily floor floor Um, is yours for any any final thoughts here before we wrap i'm gonna say so like ideally if people want like my ideal esports world it would be um where you have everyone playing against everyone and no regions and just, you know, like an international uh, tournament circuit. Uh, um, but since that's never going to happen my, for a lot uh, of reasons, uh, mainly that the LPL is actually lucrative, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, just they're ruining it for everyone. Uh, no, um, I think, uh, I think the, it, People do need to consider the fact that this would be a global policy change. Um, so while I I do actually, like, I want to make it clear that I understand where the owners are coming from, especially since, again, they likely have deadlines, uh, hard or soft, from investors or, like, their funding rounds. Um and, you know, like, that is that is what is driving, I think, a lot of the discussion. So I understand, like, why it's happening. Um, it's a really nuanced situation. And I think the thing that is annoying about it to a lot of people within the North American scene um, and, and having talked to people, it's that this is being seen as a way to... Uh, you know, like like where where not a lot of investment previously was put into North American infrastructure. Um, and, and so there are like, you know, hard infrastructure problems that we'll never be able to solve. But additionally, there was not as much investment as other regions in terms of getting, you know, getting training teams. Like we just started kind of the amateur plus uh, academy circuit this year, which again has its problems, but... Um, is a step in the right direction. Uh, and I think a lot of people in the North American scene who have worked here, who have worked really hard, who have fought for North American players are looking at it, are looking at the owners and being like, you didn't invest then. Like, why are you suddenly being like, well, we've done all we can. Like, please change the import rule for us. Yeah. So like, I understand why those people are really upset too. And like, they have a, they have a reason to be upset. Right. Um, yeah. And I also think again, like a lot of it comes down to the nuances of like, how much do you trust these teams to be able to scout when they have had trouble scouting their own players off the NA ladder? Um, mm-hmm. When you look at teams like Gen G and SK Telecom, which I'm bringing up or T1 now, but, uh, which I'm bringing up because they have cornered the trainee market in South Korea, right? So you're fighting those teams, those franchised leagues where people want to play for them. And they have signed, they sign a lot of the best trainees off the ladder, like from the get-go. So like, are you going to be able to compete with, with their scouting? Um, are you going to be able to compete with, uh, you know, LPL team scouting? Like how much do you trust 
scouting players in other regions when you've had trouble scouting players in your own yeah. region. Sorry, I'm trying to cover everything. But like, again, I understand, I understand where the owners are coming from. And I also understand why people are so upset, right? And it, and it honestly doesn't even get into considerations of like what the viewing community wants. I'm just talking about like players and man and team management and and team owners. Um, so anyway, that all being said, uh, I don't see a solution right now outside of just unfortunately like keeping the same rule in place. Uh, because again, if you look at if you're looking at the changing this rule, and I'm an LEC owner or I'm an LCK owner, I'm like, why? You know, like There's this no does nothing yeah. for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. If anything, it actively hurts me. Like, why would I support this? Um, so yeah, long convoluted answer that says absolutely nothing. Absolutely it has no nothing. solution. But I'm glad I'm, nothing I'm can sure be changed. I'm sure you guys are so happy you brought me in for this discussion. <laughs> Look, I, I would much rather have a long and convoluted answer on a topic that is convoluted. Uh, if it was a simple and it's if it was not a something that can topic. be given a single word answer at the end of the day it requires yeah. nuance exactly uh so if uh, if for no other reason uh we're very grateful to have you on for that and uh, i mean I, yes. I learned a lot uh personally i learned a lot yeah. i had fun it was great uh yeah so a big thank you to emily for coming on here taking uh 50 minutes 50 plus minutes out of her day uh to be with us and and, and yeah, just try to if nothing else learn more and dissect this issue for for what it really is which is Again, not as simple as this is being made out on Twitter, uh, which again, the, the fact that that's a caveat Twitter, needs to be made. Mo- most Twitter things, is most the things are worst aren't. discussion yeah. platform. Let's yes. be real. Like yes. there are sometimes when someone like references something like like just like on Twitter, and I'm just like, what are you actually talking about? Because I will have no context to the discussion. Uh, yeah, no, we don't don't uh, reference Twitter like it's an actual. Don't cite your sources and your sources. Yeah, Twitter. don't cite it by t- linking a tweet. Oh, God. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, yeah, if you want to take these, uh, anything you learned, more nuanced takes to Twitter, <laughs> won't, stand, won't stand in your way. Uh, but it is for uh, discussion, if nothing else. No, but uh, on the reel to wrap up, big thank you to Emily. Big thank you to Tyler and Meg, as always, for joining yep. uh, me. I think the fact that this was an episode that included... Uh, not as much me as a facilitator, I think speaks to the quality of the discussion, if, if nothing else. So I was happy to uh, just, just kind of chill. It was a lot of fun. Uh, give us a, uh, for you, dear listener, thank you for being here. Uh, if you could give us a five-star rating, if that is a possibility on your platform, on iTunes, a subscription, etc., that really does help. We're not just parroting this for our own egos. We have gotten way past that. Spending enough time on Twitter, <laughs> you hopefully get way past your own ego. But uh, it does help just the brand grow and help us just bring you uh, more more content like this with more wonderful Jeez. guests. Uh, yeah, whether it's on Spotify right, Hank. or it's the truth. Um, whether it's on <laughs> Spotify or iTunes or uh, Pocket Cast or Google Play. Hey. Tyler, did I hit them all? Yep, you did. Yes. All right, getting better and better every day. That's two. That's two episodes in a row that you got all over platforms. I know. Great. I'm killing it. Look at that. It took me eleven episodes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. So for everyone I just mentioned, I've been Henrique Damore. Thank you so much for listening to the Critical Strike Podcast, Episode Eleven. We'll be back here next week.